You're listening to a teaching from Vintage Church LA. This week we're hearing from lead pastor Gare Jones. Alrighty, let me just ask you a question. If you were going to summarize who you were in one word, summarize what you're about in one word. Just think about it. Think about it in one word. Okay, turn to your neighbor and tell that person what that word is. Beautiful, special, amazing, authentic. How many of you believe the person next to you? But one word. Shush. Shout out some of the words that you heard. Ambitious. Faithful. Anybody got some cool words that they just heard? Funny. Zealous. Sorry? Calm. Other words? Stu. Devilishly handsome. Is that what your dad just told you or is it? <laughs> See, I don't know about you, but um, often we think of, well, who am I? And the question is, well, what would you describe yourself as? And guess what? Not only have you done that this morning, but God has done that. We're looking at who God is in the Old Testament. Could we kind of think, is he different to Jesus? Is it different to what I see in Jesus, it kind of is confusing. But we're looking at the Old Testament as who God is there because it seems confusingly inconsistent at times on a superficial reading. And yet God goes out of his way in the Old Testament to do what you've just done, is summarize himself. Not just in one word, but in four or five. In Exodus 34, Moses does what I just did with you. He says, God, who are you? The word God is very generic, but who are you? And last week we saw in Exodus 34, God begins by saying, look Moses, I am this, I'm Yahweh, Yahweh, which is not descriptive of who he is. That's literally going, this is my name. Nice to meet you, Moses. You're Moses, I'm Yahweh. God has a name and it's not God. It's Yahweh. We saw last week, that simply means I am always who I am. Quite a confident name, meaning I've always been, I'm the creator, there's no one before me, I have, I've always been, I am the ultimate God and I am who I am, I will always be who I am. I will always be that. In other words, the names, the words he uses to describe himself, he says, look, I'm always going to be that. I'm never going to have a bad day. I'll never have mood swings. I'll never be up and down. I'm always consistently these things. Now just think of that name. You just, that word, calm, funny, devilishly handsome. <laughs> you know, probably you think some days yes, some days not. But God is saying, look, I am who I am. I'm always these things. And as we continue now in looking at this self-description by God, he says, look, I am what I always am. And these things are how I describe myself. This is how God thinks of himself. This is how he describes himself. And he says, I am always these things. 
And so as we're looking at who is God of the Old Testament, we're looking at how God describes himself. He says this to Moses. He says, look, Yahweh, Yahweh, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellious and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. He punishes the children and their children for the sin of their parents to the third and fourth generation. Now we said last week, ooh, that first slide sounded great. It took a sudden turn on the second slide. Not too sure about that. And I put that up there because I refuse to be selective about the Old Testament. I refuse just to go, I like those bits and I can conveniently skip over to the other nice bits and not do the middle bits. Because ultimately that's a tactic that doesn't work. Ultimately you go, hang on a minute, but hang on a minute, but what about the middle bits? And unless they're consistent with the other bits, or unless they actually give you a fuller picture, then your faith will be diminished and eroded. And what we'll see is, as we look at that difficult bit in a few weeks, we'll see actually, far from having to avoid it, we'll see when we get into the guts of it, it's not inconsistent with the first slide. And that's the joy of the Old Testament. Sometimes when we read it, we see, oh my word, that, I get that bit. And sometimes we go, whoa, hang on, what about that bit? And when we dig into it, when we actually understand what's really going on, we see the beauty of consistency of who God is and his consistency in the person of Jesus. But see, let's concentrate this week on that first slide, on the first couple of words, because when God says, look, this is who I am, Word order is really important. Just like you, if, you were, if I said to you, look, think of three words that describe yourself. The first word is gonna probably be the most important. Same thing with God. Same thing with Hebrew writings. The first word, the order is important and God gets, he springs out the gates with these two words that say, look, this is the doorway into who I am. I am always these things and I want you to be confident that this is who you meet when you see me. It's on the screen here. He says, look, I am compassionate and gracious. I'm compassionate and gracious. We often think in the Old Testament, God's gonna lead with, I'm angry and vengeful. But once you dig deeper into the Old Testament, you see just like Jesus, the front door into the character of God is compassionate and gracious. The word compassion in that context is a derivative of a female womb, a motherly love and care for those that she has given birth. This, have you ever seen a mother cradle a young baby? And that emotion of compassion flooding from the mum to this newborn. My wife's not here today, she's taking uh, our eldest back to Waco to college. But if my wife was here, I often say to everyone in the room, just beware of your babies because my wife will probably at some point take your baby to swaddle the baby in her arms because she can't help but just love on babies. 
My wife's compassion is overflowing and on steroids whenever she holds a baby in her arms. And this is God who is neither male or female, he's a person, says, look, when you think of who I am, when you come to me, no matter what state you're coming to me in, I'm like a mother with her newborn child. That's the deep affection and love I have for you. This is who I am. That's my feeling towards you. And my actions are in line, the kind of the other side of the same coin of compassion is grace. My feelings are compassionate and therefore my actions are gracious. Unmerited action of love towards you. Again, like a parent with a child, a mother with a child. Actually, the baby does everything probably not to deserve any love from the parent. And yet all the mother does is exude. Sacrifice, generosity, giving of herself to this child. It's unmerited favor. This is God coming out of the gates with, if you want to know who I am, this is me. Compassionate and gracious. And of course we see that perfectly in sync with the person of Jesus. And this is the God of the Old Testament. Compassionate and gracious. And yet, when we dig into it this morning, it's more complex than it seems on the, on the surface. It's beautiful, it's comforting. It's also deeply challenging and confronting. See, we think when we read this self-description by God, we think we're gonna struggle with that second slide. But when we dig into how compassionate God is and how gracious he is, this even challenges us. See, I don't think we even understand how compassionate God is. To see his compassion in action, we're gonna go right now to compassion on display in the Old Testament. One of the great stories of the Old Testament where God actually says, look, this is my compassion, this is my grace in action. So you fully understand what it means when I say, I am compassionate and gracious. So we're gonna to go to a well-known book called Jonah. Jonah, whether there's two schools of thoughts, we spoke on Jonah about a year and a half ago, two schools of thought, some believe, Bible-believing people either believe it's historical narrative or uh, truthful or truthful in its kind of parable nature. Either way, it's truth. But what we see in this story, just to recap very briefly, there's an evil, wicked city called Nineveh. I mean, wicked of all wicked. I mean, the part of the city that you never want to go to because it is evil. Think of like the Pacific Palisades, for example. <laughs> right. Who you think of, like, these people are terrible. Actually, don't think of the Palisades. All right, sorry, forgive me. But Nineveh was well known to be that place of, it was barbaric, it was evil, child sacrificing, and just, and the arch enemies of Israel. Israel suffered greatly because of the actions of the, of the Ninevites. God has had enough. 
God wants to call time on this evil behavior. We'll look at that next week of his anger. So he says this to Jonah. Jonah, you're one of my prophets. Go and tell Nineveh to stop it. Tell them if they don't stop it, they're in trouble. Tell them to repent. Jonah goes, no way. No way am I going. So he runs away. God interrupts him with a big fish and eventually he goes, fine, fine. I'll go and tell Nineveh to stop it. I will go preach what you want me to preach to them. Jonah goes to Nineveh, does an absolutely terrible job intentionally of preaching to them and gives a one-line sermon just because he so doesn't want to be there. He just goes, hey guys, in 40 days, uh, you've got 40 days to repent or this whole thing's over. <laughs> Literally, that's it, one line. And he goes away hoping it doesn't work. But it works. They all go, great sermon, Jonah. Thank you, and they repent. <laughs> Literally, it's almost comedic. It's written in a way, it's like, oh my gosh. And so we pick up the story with Nineveh just going, we hear you, and we're gonna turn away from this evil. And we pick up the story then with what happens to Jonah when they actually respond to his sermon. And it's in Jonah chapter four, it's on the screen here. And we read together, but to Jonah, this seemed very wrong. And he became angry. He prayed to Yahweh. Isn't this what I said? Yahweh, when I was still at home, that this is what I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew, and this is brilliant, he quotes Exodus 34. I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. See, I know, how, I know who you are. You've told us who you are. But I don't like it. I don't like that first slide. Now, Yahweh, take away my life for it is better for me to die than to live. But Yahweh replied, is it right for you to be angry? Jonah had gone out and sat down at a place east of the city and there he made a shelter and sat in its shade and waited to see what would happen to the city. Then Yahweh provided a leafy plant and made it grow up over Jonah to give shade for his head, for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was very happy about the plant but at dawn the next day, God provided a worm which chewed the plant so that it withered. When the, rose, when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that, it grew, that he grew faint. He wanted to die and said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? It is, he said, and I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. But Yahweh said, you've been concerned about a plant. Though you did not tend it, you didn't make it grow, it sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left and also many Labradors. Many animals. Clearly from West LA with his love for pets. This whole chapter is a demonstration of God's 
complex compassion. First of all, showing us how far it goes. And for Jonah, and I think for us, sometimes it's too far. Sometimes it's too far. We don't get angry at God being angry, we get angry at God being compassionate. See, Jonah gets angry and says, I knew it, I knew it. I knew you were who you said you were. I knew if I said to these guys, you can repent and God will be compassionate, I knew you would be. But it seems wrong. Sometimes God's compassion is so much, seems wrong. See, we love God's compassion when we're in trouble. Right, we love God's compassion and grace when we need his compassion and his grace. Well, at least I do. See, I mess up every day. I don't do things that I want to do and I do things I don't want to do. I like to think that I'm not the problem in the world, that there are evil people out there, that they're really at fault. But deep down I know that actually I'm part of the problem. That yeah, I may not be doing horrendous acts of evil, I'm doing subtle ones. I know my actions every day of consumerism, materialism, greed, selfishness. See, I'm kidding myself that these things aren't contributing to the brokenness and the pain in this world. And yet when it comes to me, oh God, be compassionate and gracious. But not for them. See, I want compassion from God when it's my fault. I want, when it's someone else's fault, I want justice. I feel like Jonah when someone does someone, something wrong, I want to camp outside the city and look what's going to happen to them. And it's not forgiveness. It's calamity, right? I go online and go, ooh, I wonder how they're doing. In other words, I hope their life isn't going so well. I wish bad things. People who hurt me, my enemies, I'm confronted by God who wants to love my enemies and yet I know deep down in my heart, God, I don't want you to love my enemies. I want you to fight them for me. Seems very wrong. And yet throughout the Old Testament, not just the New, the Old Testament we see a God who is compassionate and gracious to those who oppose him. Beginning with Adam and Eve. He closed them and immediately puts in plan a place to restore them, despite them rejecting him. Throughout the whole story of God using a people, Israel beginning with Abraham, the story is not, oh my gosh, look how amazing these guys do. God obviously has to reward their amazing behavior. It's the whole story of the Old Testament are not heroes of faith, but calamities of faith that God nevertheless loves, nevertheless rescues, nevertheless is gracious to uphold his promises despite our weaknesses. See, this is God throughout the Old Testament. 
He is compassionate and gracious to those who don't deserve it. Even to our enemies. And we see that even in the New Testament. Yahweh is the same yesterday, today and forever. And Yahweh in the person of Jesus equally finds a city like Nineveh who opposes him, but this time it's Jerusalem. And what does Jesus do? Moved with compassion, he weeps over the city. The ultimate expression of this compassion is as God, Yahweh himself, dies on the cross at the hands of others, tortured and being crucified. The words coming out of our God on the cross are these. Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. Do you see the consistency here? Jesus saying, they don't know what they're doing. And God saying to Jonah, Nineveh just don't know what they're doing. They don't know their right hand from their left. They don't know me. They don't know what it means to be in relationship. They don't know the brokenness that they're, they're trapped and broke. They're spiritually blind. I look beyond the simple superficial behavior, though it is evil. But I look into their hearts with compassion. God does not look at evil behavior only. He goes beyond. And he sees Nineveh and has compassion. And praise God he does because I am Nineveh. You are Nineveh. We are the problem. We are broken. And the good news is is God looks at Nineveh, you and me, and has compassion. It's comforting, but it's challenging. Jesus put this teaching into his own teaching where he says this, you've heard it said in Matthew 5, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you that you may be children of your father in heaven. See that, he says, look, if you really want to be like God, as children growing and being formed into the likeness of God, you'll start to love your enemies. You'll start to have compassion on them. You'll look beyond behavior and go, oh Lord, they don't know their left from their right. This will be a sign that you're truly being formed into the image of your father. And he goes on, Jesus says, he says, look, for God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. You see, this is just who God is. No matter who you are, I'm compassionate and gracious. Just who I am. I'm compassionate and gracious. We want him to change according to performance. Not our own, but others. But God says, hey, look, I've never looked at you 
based on your performance. I've never shown compassion to you based on how good you've done. I've never shown grace to you based on merit. It's always been unconditional. You're like a young child in my arms. You don't do anything except just receive my love regardless of what you do. But guess what? That's the same for everyone. And I'm gonna reveal that in your heart because if you want me to change for them, I've also got to change for you. It's the complexity of his compassion. Sometimes in our brokenness, we find it too much, like Jonah. Not only too much, but too forgiving. Too forgiving, Jonah is angry. How could you just forgive them so quickly? Right? I mean, at least get them to grovel, right? I mean, that's what I wanna do with my enemies, right? Someone really hurts me. It's like, I want their repentance not to be that easy. I wanna kind of rub their faces in it, their noses in it, you know what I mean? It's just like, oh, I don't want justice, I want revenge. And yet, God confronts Jonah with his depth of compassion and grace and they turn from him after one little sermon, they go, okay, fair enough, we're sorry, forgiven. Forgiven. The scandal of his compassion, the scandal of his grace. And yet at the same time, we want that for us. Man, I run to God and I've known his forgiveness so many times in my life and I am so glad that he does not make me grovel, that he does not, he does not rub my nose in it. He said, I'm gracious and compassionate, Gare. I will forgive you, I'll restore you, just turn to me. Do you remember that parable in Luke chapter 15? When this son in his pride and his dishonor of his dad takes his inheritance early, goes away to LA and squanders it all and eventually comes to his senses and he thinks, no way is dad gonna forgive me. No way is he gonna be compassionate. No dad would be like that. And so he starts to turn home thinking he's gonna have to earn his way back. He's gonna have to actually prove himself but his dad, what did Jesus say? God, Yahweh is like a dad who's looking out to see his son. Where is his son? And as soon as he sees his son on the horizon, his father picks up his robe, something absolutely dishonorable and runs to his son and hugs him. And the son goes, dad, I need to no, no, stop, 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 stop. I love you, welcome home. But dad, I, no, 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 shut up, welcome home. See, I don't know how many times I've looked at that psalm and gone, oh Lord, I've done it again. I've, I'm kind of like that son in Luke 15. I've done it again. And I go, oh God, but thank you, you're my father. And if I just turn in out towards you, you're gonna run with compassion and grace and forgiveness and restoration and you'll restore me and bring me back into the family. You're not gonna rub my nose in it. There's no purgatory in your family. You won't relegate me to the subspench, but I'm back. And I don't know, I plead that every day for myself. But guess what? Jonah's discovering, if I plead that for me, he's also that for my enemies. He's also that for my enemies. 
This is the, the challenging, confronting nature of God's compassion. That sometimes, oh gosh, what is this doing in my heart towards my enemies? See, once, once you've ex- experienced the depth of his compassion towards you, you know if you've truly understood your place before him and his compassion and his grace towards you, you know the depth of that. If you know you've really grasped it when you start to ease from revenge and start to have compassion towards your enemies. It's what Paul said. So forgive each other just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven you. I know my own heart when I'm struggling with unforgiveness. I've got to go back and go, oh my gosh, I think I'm better. I think I haven't needed forgiveness. See, forgiven people forgive. It's what C.S. Lewis writes, he said, to be a Christian means to forgive the inexcusable because God has forgiven the inexcusable in you. This compassion does surgery in our own hearts. The depth of compassion and grace that God has for you can't help but change how you view everyone else around you. And you begin to start looking at enemies and go, Lord, their behavior is terrible, but oh Lord, but they don't know they're left from their right. This compassion is complex. But for the avoidance of doubt, compassion doesn't overlook the problems, doesn't overlook the behavior. But just God does something about it, motivated not by revenge, but by compassion. You see, in this story, we see what we see throughout the whole Old Testament, which is God does not stand by watching evil run its course. He will intervene eventually. We'll look at that next week. But God is not dispassionate to evil. In fact, he will intervene in quite dramatic ways because we want him to. Like we have police forces and prisons, we want evil to be contained. Same thing as an echo of God's justice. But here's the difference between my action towards evil and his. My action often is motivated Just simply stop it because it's hurting me. God's action is compassion. He's gonna stop it because it's hurting them as well as me. You see, he wants to root out the evil from the Ninevites for their sake, not just for everyone else's sake. He sees them crushed by the weight of their behavior just as much as the people they're inflicting evil on. He's motivated by compassion for everyone concerned. Jesus saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. See, my motivation often is, God, I want judgment, I want to stop what they're doing in this world, but do I want them to stop for their own benefit? 
because it must be crushing them to live in such bitterness and anger. It's my motivation to forgive, but also it becomes my motivation for people to repent and say, sorry, see, when you're moved with compassion, you'll forgive quickly. And then repentance is purely for their benefit. For they see themselves, actually, I don't want to live like this anymore. Whereas we want repentance before we forgive because we want to know that they're really sorry for our sake. See, it changes everything, the dynamics of interpersonal relationships when you realize this is how much God has shown compassion to me. Even giving feedback. Even going to someone and going, I love you so much, I'm not just gonna stand by and watch this behavior in your life slowly erode you away. I'm not doing this because of me, I'm not doing this because of others, but I see this in your life and I don't want it to limit you. I don't want it to shortcut you. I don't want it to cap your potential. I love you too much that I'm actually gonna intervene and say, can I help you? See, we live in a world of cancel culture, not out of love, out of anger. God's version of cancel culture is, can I help you? Can I actually work with you? Because I don't want this to destroy your life anymore. How would a tweet like that go? How would we relate to one another in our city like that? Those we disagree with. Those we see hurting and struggling. His compassion is complex and it's confronting. It changes us, even to the point of it rebukes us. Because of God's compassion, he will often rebuke us. Now what does this mean? Well, we see in Jonah, right? Jonah is locked in bitterness towards the Ninevites. He's angry at God and he's locked in bitterness. He's having a tantrum. But what does God do? Shows him compassion. Jonah's sitting on the eastern city, waiting for calamity, hoping that their life goes south. And yet God sees a child of his struggling and he sees the sun about to come up and he goes, oh man, I love this kid. And so he, he causes this plant to quickly grow and give him shade. Jonah's loving the shade. He's loving the plant. The first thing he's loved in a while. But see, God's compassion is not just to comfort. God's compassion, like any parent, God's compassion is also to grow. Out of love, God doesn't want Jonah to stay in this toxic place. I don't know who said it, we, lots of people quote this in lots of different sermons, um, so I'm just gonna say Tim Keller said it. Um, which is this, God sees us as we are, loves us as we are, and accepts us as we are. Oh, praise the Lord. But by his grace, he does not leave us as we are. You come to him broken. How many of you are broken this morning? Those who didn't raise your hands, that's a sign of your brokenness. <laughs> We're broken, right? And like a loving parent, we want to see our kids 
whole, healthy, happy. So when you come to God, he's gonna go, I'm your parent. Which means at times I'm gonna give you a nice shade because I just, my heart breaks for you. You kind of done this to yourself, but I'm compassionate. But also, eventually I'm gonna to have to kind of do some surgery. I'm gonna actually take the shade away. I'm gonna get a little worm to start eating the shade. And that's not enough. Sometimes I need a real intervention. I need to wake you up and a scorching east wind is gonna come because I love you too much to see this toxicity sabotage your life. See, his compassion will rebuke us. His compassion will cause scorching east winds to burn us because he loves you too much to leave you where you are. See, we like to celebrate the grace of God of doesn't matter what I do, doesn't matter where I've been, he just loves me the way I am, like that John, like Luke 15 parable. That's absolutely true. But don't think God's gonna stay there. Behavior, he wants to get your behavior in line because he doesn't want, you, he doesn't want the toxicity of behavior outside of his will to hurt you and hurt others. He will intervene. And I've looked at my life and gone, oh my gosh, sometimes, sometimes I've struggled just because I've been an idiot. But sometimes I sense God allowed a scorching east wind to wake me up. And it's because of his compassion. See, Yahweh in Jesus put it into teaching. He says, look, you're like a vine in a vineyard and guess what? Every now and again, the vineyard, the vine dresser is gonna come along and he says this, he prunes those he loves so that they be even more fruitful. It's compassion. Some things in your life right now, some of the hardships, some of the lack of shade, some of the scorching east winds are there because we've been stupid. But sometimes there's a discernment and go, I think God is allowing something. Because, and I'm gonna to chat to my friends about it because I think God may be in this. I think I'm kind of like Jonah. I'm stubbornly hanging on to something and God is going, I'm not gonna let this destroy you. And it's gonna be hard. It's gonna hurt. But I, will, I am going to discipline rebuke and correct those I love. Because I have better things for you than your life to be sabotaged in this way. The fascinating thing is, the story in Jonah ends there. We have no idea how Jonah responded. But I think that's the point. Because the question hanging over the end of that story and hanging over today is, do we surrender to his compassion? Do we say, Lord, be it to my enemies as it is to me? Take my life. And Lord, I pray for shade when I've been stupid. But Lord, don't keep me stupid. I pray for shade when I've 
done the same thing over and over and over again. Oh, but Lord, do something that I don't keep doing the same thing over and over and over again. Save me. And therefore I will surrender to your beautiful compassion, your confronting compassion, your challenging compassion, because I know that you are gracious and compassionate. Like a mother with a child, you only have what's good for me. This is our God. He is compassionate and gracious. Let's stand together. As our team, prayer team comes forward and the worship team comes out, just close your eyes. There's a lot in that talk right there. And so it's gonna be different for each one of us of what's going on, what the Holy Spirit is doing in our minds and hearts. So just in silence now, just let the Holy Spirit speak to you and you speak to him. Come Holy Spirit, come Holy Spirit. Jesus, we thank you that you, you lived out your compassion on the cross. You made the way for forgiveness by even taking our sin on yourself because we are Nineveh. We are enemies of God, running our own lives, but you died for us. And so Holy Spirit, I have no idea what you're doing in people's hearts because this is such a profound truth. But I pray you'd minister and work. Some, for some here this morning, Lord, it's shade. I can come back to God and he'll give me shade. He'll welcome me. But for some, it's like, I think he's taken the shade away because he's doing a deep, good work in my life. And I'm not gonna fight it. But I'm gonna go, let your will be done. Correct me, heal me. I don't wanna live with this anymore. So Jesus, as we worship, fill this room with your spirit. The Father, gracious and compassionate. Let's worship. Thanks for joining us for another week. We'd love to connect with you at one of our gatherings or online at vintagechurchla.com.